Well, good morning. I hope you had a wonderful week. I enjoyed time with family. I know I did. I enjoyed the, just the change in rhythm, you know, the getting to sleep in a little bit more and more time with family, getting to go to movies. Uh, but this week was a, a great week. Uh, in the midst of all of that, uh, I was able to, maybe for the first time, kind of contemplate the connection between Christmas and New Year's. It's not an official church holiday. It's not built into the structure of the church calendar. Uh, and it's not like that in all cultures. I do like the fact that we celebrate Christmas, and then, and then a week later, you, you usher in the new year. If you're an Armenian Christian, not an Arminian Christian, an Armenian Christian, it's not the case for you. You celebrate Christmas on January 7th. If you're from the Orthodox tradition or a Coptic Christian, you celebrate Christmas on January 6th. And there's a really fun, cool history involved there. You can read about that on you know, Wikipedia. Uh, and it lies behind the song 12 Days of Christmas a little bit. Uh, so interesting stuff. But for those Christians, they celebrate the New Year and then Christmas. Or, or if you're a Christian in China... You celebrate Christmas on December 25th, and then the New Year two months later, mid-February. i got to confess, I like the way we do it. Christmas, and then a week later, the New Year. I think it serves as a really good reminder of the newness that Christ brings. Christ, with his first advent, ushered in a brand new age. Not just a new year, not just a differentiation on the calendar, a brand new age. The Bible refers to it as the age to come. Now, in the Old Testament, the prophets seemed to have this perspective that they were living in this present age, and when the Messiah came, he would usher in the age to come. The New Testament tweaks that slightly, and says, yes, there is this present age, and when the Messiah came, he ushered in the age to come. But it wasn't this nice, clean break. There was an overlap between the ages. The age to come broke in in the person of Jesus Christ, in his person and in his ministry. And we get to participate in that even now. The fact that the, the age to come had become a reality, it is evidenced by the miracles Jesus did. Those are the power of the age to come showing up in the here and the now. It's evidenced for us in the ministry and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, a sure sign that the age to come has come. And also in the fact that we possess even now eternal life. Eternal life is something that belongs to the age to come, but we partake of it even now because the age to come has broken into human history. Now that's grand, global, cosmic, universal kind of language. But it's also very personal. It has personal implications, and that's what Paul is focusing on in Colossians 3, 1-4 the personal implications for what Christ has done, for the breaking in of the new age. How does it impact us and how we ought to live? 
And I see in this passage at least three personal implications. We have in Christ a new life. We have in Christ a new future. And we're called by Christ to adopt a new perspective. Now the fact that I'm only highlighting three is a small kindness to you, because at one point I had seven, okay? So I've, I've reduced it. This is the Cliff Notes version. But three personal implications. First, in Christ we gain a brand new, a brand spanking new life. Have you ever thought to yourself, if I had to start all over again, Maybe I'm in witness protection or I'm running for the mob. Something. If I had to start all over again, where would I go? Who would I be? What would I do? Really? It's just me? Only, only, one, that's, only one that's thought of that, huh? I have thought about that before. And it's not because I'm like running away from my family. I'd take my wife and my kids with me, at least a couple of them. And, <laughs> and I think, you know, the Pacific Northwest sounds great. Portland, for me, Seattle. Seattle's got this great music scene, and it's like the mecca for coffee drinkers, right? So I think Seattle, that'd be great. As great as Seattle sounds, heaven sounds quite a bit better. What the Apostle Paul here is saying in Colossians is that you have begun a brand new life, and your life is now in heaven. That is where you reside. That is where your life is is you died to your old life. It's not the old you that lives anymore. You died to it and you've been raised with Christ. Uh, This raised with Christ language, it, it can mean one of two things. It can be raised as in raised from the dead, resurrected, or raised from earth to heaven as in ascended. And biblically, both are absolutely true. You died with Christ by by virtue of your faith in union with him. You died with him to the old pattern of your life. And biblically, you have been raised to new life in Christ. But it even goes beyond that. Not just have you been raised to a new life, you have ascended into heaven with Christ where he is and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. We've ascended into the heavenly realm and Paul says, there our new life is hidden with Christ. It's hidden in the sense that it's kept safe. Kind of like I hide the good chocolate from the kids. It's kept safe. But it's also not fully revealed in the way that you might have a hidden talent. Our life is kept, it's hidden in Christ in the heavenly realm, kept safe there, and it's waiting to be fully revealed. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes as I read Scripture, I I have imaginary conversations with the authors. Moses or John, or in this case, Paul. And when I read a passage like that that says, I I live a new life and my life is a heavenly life, I want to say, Paul, it doesn't feel like that. Not today. 
Today feels very mundane. Sometimes I would say today feels hard, and it's drudgery, and it's even sometimes painful. I think Paul would respond, it doesn't matter how you feel. It's a gospel truth. I'm not telling you how you ought to feel. I'm telling you what is real. You died with Christ. Yeah, you you don't feel it, but you did. And you've been raised to a new life. And that life is a heavenly, spiritual, Christ-centered life. As surely as Christ died, you died with him. And in other places, he adds, and we're buried with him. That's how real our death in Christ is. But you've been raised to a newness of life. I want to be really careful with this passage, honestly. I've heard Bob say it many times, uh, that each sermon is kind of a mini heresy. Because you focus on one thing and others get left off. So many Christians of the ages have focused on passages like this and come to the conclusion that what we do in this life doesn't matter at all. What we do on earth in the physical realm doesn't matter at all because we're spiritual heavenly beings now. There's an ancient heresy called Gnosticism that was all about that. And it was condemned by the church rightly so because that's not biblical. Yes, our ultimate true life is hidden with Christ in heaven. But this life is very real, very consequential. The choices we make, the things we do, matter. We can't run from them as if they don't and pursue kind of some escapist Christianity. That's not what Paul is driving at. Not at all. We live here. We work here. We minister here. We get married here. We have kids here. We retire here. But our life is hidden with Christ in heaven. I've experienced that kind of attention on a very small scale before in my life. Right after I graduated from college, I took a six-week trip to Fiji. That's where my parents were, were missionaries for a time. And I got to experience, I mean, the paradise of Fiji. You know, the beaches, the ocean, walking through jungles, swimming under waterfalls, all of it. It was fantastic. But my heart wasn't there. Um, My wife and I had been dating. She wasn't my wife at that point. We'd been dating for two years. And we just graduated, and we were in somewhat of a limbo. Were we going to continue dating? Were we going to take the next step and get engaged? It's kind of what my plan was. But my heart wasn't in Fiji. There was good things to be done there, but my heart, my life, I felt like was with Lynn back in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. So, yeah. So what I'm saying (laughs) is that I had a vacation in paradise and Lynn ruined it. That's what I'm saying, but... But there was that tension. I'm here, and what I'm doing with my parents and my brother and my sister, and it mattered. It was good. But my life was somewhere else. 
That's what Paul is highlighting. Our life is somewhere else. And so is our future. In Christ, we have a new life, but in Christ, we have a brand new, exciting future. Have you ever got a test back when you were a student from the teacher and it had a failing grade on it and your heart sank? Ugh. Someone definitely did. But then after all the papers, papers are distributed, the, the teacher or the professor says, you know what? You all did so bad on this, there's a curve. And your heart turns around. Your failing grade is now an A. Amazing. There's this 180-degree 100, turn. Or imagine, and this is just strains credulity, but imagine you're on death row. And at the 11th hour, you receive a letter that is a full and complete pardon. And at the same time, you receive a separate letter that says you are the heir of a great estate. And along with that, yet another letter that says the family you never knew you had is waiting to meet you, waiting to embrace you. Again, that strains credulity. The kind of 180 degree change of fortunes is almost beyond imagining. But that's what we have in Christ. We go from death to life, from wrath as our future to honor, from hell to heaven, from destruction to glory. Paul says the life that is now hidden with Christ, someday when Christ appears, Visibly, the word he uses here for appears isn't sneaks in. It appears visibly, making a display of himself. When he shows up and displays his glory, you will show up with him in glory. That is our future. It is a glorious future. J.B. Lightfoot, the commentator, said the veil which now shrouds your higher life from others, and even partially from yourselves, will be withdrawn. The world which persecutes, despises, ignores, will then be blinded with the dazzling glory of the revelation. Not just the revelation of Christ, but also the revelation of His glory in us. That's our future. A new life, a new future, and because of those things, those realities, we're called to take on a new perspective. Now, in one sense, this is, is very natural. Our life is hidden with Christ in heaven. It's natural that if our life is elsewhere, our hearts and our minds would go to that place. Right? When I was in Fiji, my love was Lynn. My heart and my mind went there. It's natural that our hearts and our minds would go to heavenly things because we are heavenly beings. Because our first love is Christ, and that's where he is. 
But Paul doesn't say your minds and your hearts will be set in a passive kind of way on heavenly things, on things above. He makes it a command. Set your mind, set your heart, or seek the things that are above. It's a conscious effort, a determination of the will to seek the things that are above. Heavenly things, Christ things, God things. To seek them. Something we have to, to work on. How do we do that? How do we practice setting our minds? Practice setting our hearts on things above? I remember the first time I ever watched a horror movie. I was probably 12, maybe 13 years old. And the movie ended. There was a scene where a person thought everything had been resolved, and they went to bed, and they woke up and rolled over, and this demon monster kind of thing was laying right there next to them in bed. So I went to bed that night, And sleep did not come, right? I was terrified that when I woke up, there'd be something next to me. So what I did is I started running through the alphabet. A. Okay, I'm going to think of every cool car I can think of that begins with A. Alfa Romeo, Audi, then B. Bentley, you know, Buick, C, Chevy. Uh, on down the list. And when I got through the end of that list, sleep still hadn't come. So then I was like, okay, famous baseball players that begin with A. Okay, now rock groups that begin with A. And it was this conscious, continuous, ongoing effort to keep my mind on things other than the horror film. As Christians, we have to put forth this constant effort to set our mind on heavenly things and not let them be drawn and captivated by earthly things. He's back to the question, okay, well, how? How do we engage in that effort? How do we practice that? First, bathe your life in prayer. If prayer is a struggle in your life, join the club. Uh, If there is one thing in my Christian life that I would say I'm sorely disappointed in, it's my own prayer life. I want it to be more rigorous. I want it to be more natural. But I have to struggle and fight to pray. But I know when I do, my mindset is shaped. It's changed. I'm not going to say too much about prayer because, frankly, the next sermon series is about prayer. Five weeks on how we engage in a life of prayer. And if that's not enough, there's an ACG series starting in March on prayer. It's a free commercial. But prayer is absolutely essential. Setting our mind on things above. Being in conversation with our first love, Christ in prayer. 
absolutely essential. Second, I would say saturate yourself in the Word. Saturate yourself in the Word. The Word of God, the Bible, isn't magic, but it is living. And it is powerful. Reading and absorbing the Word of God shapes us. Immersing ourselves in the story of the Bible changes how we see the story of our lives and of our world. Reading the wisdom of Scripture exposes the folly of the world that masquerades as wisdom. Reading Paul's theology, and it can be hard, but it gives us a vocabulary. It gives us a mindset that we're called to. This coming year, I've chosen for myself a Bible reading plan. It's the Discipleship Journal's Bible reading plan put out by Nav Press. I'll start it tomorrow. It'll take me through the Bible in a year. I like this Bible reading plan because it has you reading from the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you don't have a reading plan, if you're not intentional about reading through the Word of God, I'd invite you to join me with it. Join with me in that one. I even posted it to ECC's Facebook page. I hijacked it um, to do that. Join with me in that. We can have conversations about what we read this week. That'd be great. If you don't want to do the whole Bible in a year, you can actually pick just the New Testament parts of the Bible. What I'm saying is be intentional about saturating your life with the living Word of God. If our hearts are going to be drawn and our minds are going to be set on things above, it starts with being in the Word and in prayer. And third and lastly, and arguably most importantly, the church. How do you set your heart and mind on things above? You recognize that you are part of a body. Have you ever made a New Year's resolution to work out? And you do it on your own, and it lasts about a week or two. Hard things are never good to do alone. And the Christian life is hard. So we're called together in the church to encourage one another to say, Hey, brother, your mind right now seems really preoccupied with earthly things. How do we together reframe it? How do we together set our hearts and minds on things above? And in addition to the community you find here in the church, you find tastes of heaven. Hebrews 6 talks about that we have tasted of the, the power of the age to come. And in context, he's talking about you've tasted them in the church. In the people, in the worship, in the sacraments, in the church. We get tastes of the age to come. And those tastes sustain us and draw us deeper and deeper into relationship with God and deeper and deeper into the heavenly life that we have in Christ. The three things that foster this new perspective. Prayer, the Word, and the church. 
As we enter into this, this new year, the new year is going to give us lots of opportunities. Opportunities to taste and experience the power of God. Taste and experience the age to come together. And opportunities to be grateful and to share the new life that we have in Christ. Maybe you don't have that new life yet. Maybe you haven't experienced it through faith in Jesus Christ yet. This Sunday would be a fantastic Sunday to start that new life with Christ. And I or Bob or John or Josiah, any one of us would love to sit and talk with you about how you can take that step and begin a brand new life in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful that you are the God who renews and restores, who's creating all things new, including us. Father, we thank you that we have died to the things that once held mastery over us, and now we're happy to call you the Lord of our life. Father, we pray that the way we live would grow in, into a more deep harmony with the reality of who we are in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.